Sunday morning, January 5th. Happy New Year. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the, the glory that we have freely of assembling to study together, to look at your word, to consider this very important issue of um, race and our relationships. And so use this time uh, as you bless our discussion and give us by your Holy Spirit wisdom and um, just, just all the, the grace and knowledge that comes abundantly from your hand to make Wallace more and more the body you've called her to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We are using the handout that's in the, the little foyer here. We're on page 2413, starting at line 6. Page 2413, starting at line 6. I'll go ahead and read it for us, and I think it prompts some discussion. And just a reminder, this is a report uh, approved by our denomination. It's principally written to pastors and elders. That's why the language here, is that this paragraph is going to focus on what pastoral leaders need to know. But I think it, it's going to apply to all of us. Of course, in order to account for the diversity of one's neighborhood, pastoral leaders actually need to know the demographic realities of their neighborhood. Discovering the diversity within one mile, three mile, five mile radius of one's church facility will assist pastoral leaders in becoming culturally intelligent and sensitive. Too often, elders presume that they know their neighborhoods or they think that the demographic work is something which church planners do. But churches and pastoral leaders that fail to reach their neighbors, all of their neighbors, not just the ones who look like them, with the gospel are churches that will prove unfaithful to their calling and God's mission for them. Agree? Disagree? Comments? Thoughts? Have we done this? Are we going to do this? We're going to do this? Yeah, do the radius, the diversity. Well, so I want to ask you, I, I've been with you about 21 months, and um, I, but you have a greater working knowledge of the radio, of the, of the demographic around them. Here's the Wallace building, and I've drawn some circles on here that represent some of the different uh, groups of people that surround the building. So who are we surrounded by? Yes, don't cap I can just give you um, my first-hand knowledge of my building. Um, it's a condominium that has this 300 units. It's about three miles from here. Okay. And one of the members here was asking me about where I live. And so this was a couple of months ago. So um, I said, well, it's quite diverse. But I just didn't realize how diverse so I went home and like in 10 minutes, I just wrote down the different countries that were represented by the people that I know. I figure there are about 500 people in the building. I came up with 26 nations in like less than 15 minutes. My goodness. So. That's amazing. And I've been told that there are over 100 nations represented at the University of Maryland, which is just across the street. Across the street. So I just, I just give that as my input. as. Very diverse. Oh, also, I've heard our state senator say this is the most diverse district in the entire state of Maryland. Okay. District 22. This one that we're in. Okay. On the state level. So I'm going to put internationals here. 
and just one uh, condo within three miles of 26 nations represented. What, what else are we surrounded by? University. Students? University, professors, staff, good. We have a large uh, Latino uh, population. Yeah. Latino, especially what? West, especially just a little bit west of here. Okay. Very, very Langley heavily. Park. Langley Park. Okay. African American. Is that okay to do that? African American. Yeah. What else? Other suburbanites. Suburbanites. Other suburbanites. How about white suburbanites? And then you might even divide a lot of these in, uh, in terms of socioeconomic. That that the, the socioeconomic diversity goes across the. The other strata. Anything else? Would you consider something like an employer as sort of like an engine for the for the area? I'm thinking of the federal government. You know, all like like the USDA, the FDA. I mean, so many are right here within a few miles. And then, of course, if you go a little bit further out, all of the employees in the district. All right, we'll call that many of government that employees. Yeah. They're a special people group. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but they're very large. Very large. Yes. Yes. What else? Any anything else to put on here? So the, the, these are the groups that the building is surrounded with. But what do you think these little purple circles represent? That's where you live. So the neighborhood you're in, you're surrounded by. I don't know. Your your apartment building is very diverse. Maybe you live in a neighborhood that isn't. I don't know. My neighborhood in Forest, Virginia, is not very diverse. A lot of folks look like me. But maybe your neighborhood is diverse. So, so, so the, the building's been here for what? Eleven years, roughly ten or eleven years. What's happened in terms of? Uh, uh, reaching these, just out of curiosity. Vacation Bible School brings a lot of sneakers into. We saw diversity in VBS. Okay, that was one vehicle. We're, so we're sort of asking the question. Th this paragraph is saying, do, do pastors, pastors and elders, are, do they have uh, cultural intelligence? Are we? Are, what are we doing to reach? Uh, is that happening? Why is it challenging? It's very challenging, isn't it? So I'll tell you how challenging it is. This is just from, I'm going to answer this question from my own experience, okay? This is spanning 30 years in ministry. So here are the different types of challenges I've experienced. College students sitting on the steps of my church in Charlottesville. She looks forlorn. This is a long time ago, so I forget exactly what I said to her. But I said, oh, well, you know, John says that, and of course I'm quoting the Gospel of John. John says that he who believes has eternal life. And she said, who is John? You never heard of John, the Gospel of John. That's, that's, that's a cultural barrier to break across. 
I was trying to reach a friend in Lynchburg to come to my church. He came once and said, too much singing. I hate the singing. Never came back. Too much singing. Another person, um, well, our, our student ministry in Fort Worth, I said, why are there more students here from TCU? Well, they find the language that you use in the confession of faith to be archaic, so they're going to another church. The language is archaic in the confession of faith. So sometimes, actually, in the office, we change it to a modern English translation. That was a barrier. Um... So around election time, a number of years ago, my church in Fort Worth, somebody came up to me and said, what is this? It was a voter guide. It was a voter guide from a Republican point of view. The person holding in their hand was not a Republican. Now, our session did not put those on the table in the narthex. They were removed quickly. But that's one of the reasons why the church didn't put voter guides down. If you're an intelligent voter, go get your voter guides for yourself. But the church didn't put them there. Somebody was offended by the voter guide. That's, that's a certain kind of barrier to overcome. I've had people say, this lady was a hairdresser, but she was coming to our church. And she said, everyone's smarter than me. I've heard people say that. I've heard people say, everyone's richer than me. I've heard people say, everyone's whiter than me in, in the churches that I pass. Barriers. I couldn't get this one lady, my age, lawyer, I couldn't get her to come to my church because insensitive to older single women. Very offensive to her. I actually preached a sermon one time on how, um, what, Christmas, how what Christmas says about how marriage is to be done. She was highly offended. Highly offended at the sermon. Left the church. That was a barrier. I've, I've had people say, I could never come to your church because you don't allow women in leadership. So, Women in leadership. I'm sorry. They won't come to a PCA church because we don't ordain women elders or deacons. They won't come to the church. So this is just a sampling. In, oh, and I um, met with two students who were at Liberty. Uh, they were interested in the church. They said, we really think churches should do mercy ministry. I agree. And we agreed that if in several months our church wasn't advertising mercy ministry, they should leave and find another church. And they did, because the deacons never got around to doing it. Never saw the students again. That was a good reason to leave the church. Didn't do mercy ministry. So I, I'm just, these are some of the barriers that I've, that just in my limited experience, I, I've, um, so let's ask this question. As we think about the diverse neighborhood around us, what do we, I'm going to break it down into what we desire, and as it were, what is required to come here on a Sunday morning. What do we desire from all this different diversity? What do we desire when they come in? Everybody feel welcome. That they feel welcomed, have an open mind, and other than that, we make absolutely no expectation of them, right? Come as you are. We want everyone to come in to our assembly, right, and find Jesus. But what's required to worship here? What's required to worship here? Do you need to be able to see? Well, we have a gentleman who's mostly blind who, who worships with us. Do you need to be able to hear? 
I'm just asking some very basic things. Those things are very helpful, aren't they? But we do have people with, with hearing we, we, with hearing assistance, right? Do you need a certain kind of dress to feel welcome here? Probably not. I think there's a pretty good diversity here. It's not super casual. You know, there's churches where the pastor has jeans, sandals, bald head, wiring glasses, and preaches in a t-shirt. You know those churches? <laughs> Sorry. They just, they cracked me up. I, I just, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Try it. So, I mean, I've always preached, at least, you know, I've always preached with a tie and a, and a shirt on. It's just, anyway. Doesn't say anything about, doesn't say anything about my soul. Um, what do you, what do you need to believe in order to uh, feel comfortable here? In our worship service. What do you need to believe? Jesus. Do you have to believe in Jesus to feel comfortable in our worship service? Not necessarily. Ultimately. Yeah. Ultimately, if you don't like Jesus, you're ultimately not going to stay here. That's right. I, I think, uh, I personally experienced that it's, it's explicitly communicated in every worship service that we are sinners in need of grace. And some, pe- some of my friends who have come don't like that being brought up over and over and over again, even right. if they have a Christian background. That's right. Christians with a very low tolerance and view of sin. I'm, I'm convinced there's been people I hadn't stayed in the churches that I pastored because I talked too much about sin. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. What else is required? Do you have to speak English? Yeah, you do. So right there, if uh, where were we, honey, that we said the person didn't speak English? Yesterday, where were we? Oh, we were at Tyson's. And the person at La Madeline, I said, uh, she didn't get her creme brulee for her lunch. He goes, I don't speak English. And that was the end of that. <laughs> Incidentally, go to Tyson's, the world's, I mean, it's, when we go down to the mall down here, what's this one called down by where the giant is? We're basically the only white people in there. That's pretty cool. I've never been in a situation like that in my life where I am a, 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 a huge minority, right? That's pretty cool. But do you need to speak English to feel comfortable in our church? Yes, yeah, so we've made a distinction. We're English speaking. So if we've got a Hispanic, a big Latino, population in the area and some really don't speak English very well, what does it look like to reach them? That's just a question. Yes? So a few, maybe a year ago, I brought up, we live in a Hispanic neighborhood, we're really white people, and um, so I brought my neighbor and she has a, I guess an eight or nine year old daughter, and I didn't realize she speaks very little English, but she'd still be able to follow along and she couldn't, so I translated it for her as we're going through the service, and it was really hard to, I'm not a professional translator, it's hard to do that like, on the spot kind of transition. And then I realized after the service, she got something out of it, she would get the gist of it, not a right. She would be much better served if she went somewhere else. And it was a little bit sad to me because I know the gospel is preached well here, and I want to be able to recommend this as a church, but I can't. This is not going to serve you, this is not sustainable. Situation. Yeah. It's just interesting how the choices that we make for what ministries we could do, like if we had a Spanish language interpretation ministry, that would allow some 
about uh, what's required here? Sir, did you want to say something, Marty? Was that a hand up? Um, how about a certain education level? What's required here? Is there such a thing here? There you go. Yeah. I know a young man in, in Lynchburg who can't come to one of our churches there because he works every Sunday morning. So he's looking for a church that meets on a Sunday night. So you have to be available Sunday at 10.30. How about a certain educational level? Is that re- what's required here? You have to be able to read, probably, because we use words that are written for songs and confessions. Is a certain educational level required here? No, but, you, but there is. Um, I mean, I'm thinking back when I first started coming here. And I came from a different church background, and I was a believer. There's a deeper level of critical thinking that happens here, and if a person is not disciplined in that, it's hard to like feel engaged and fully a part of some of the discussions that occur in Sunday school classes and even in the worship service. And, and that's indirectly an education level or a lifestyle level about how you feed and how you... Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, my greatest compliments as a preacher is when a fifth grader says, I loved your sermon, I tracked with you the whole way. Fifth grader. Because that means anybody above that can track with it, right? I, I take that as an enormous compliment, a fifth grader. And what, what reading level is the Bible written on? Fifth grade reading level. Anyway. Yes. It's not like we're not addressing in this scenario that you're talking about. It's just that 
not going into deeper theological, confessional type things. And so I would agree with with Nate, but but if it was a church that the gospel was not being preached or they weren't, you know, holding to the truths of the Bible, then obviously then you should leave, you should. right? You right. should leave, Marty. I stay and look for another pastor. <laughs> but I, because I, I agree to say this, I think that part of our cultural context is the University of Maryland. And if we're going to be effective in this particular context, we need to be at preaching as Ben and Jacob, not only at a low level, but people who are intellectually, you know, capable. And uh, you know, I think totally neglect that would be irresponsible. In this particular setting. So, I, mean, I think you raise, I mean, what this raises is this larger issue about how do we, what's our responsibility in terms of reaching out into the neighborhood around, what constitutes the neighborhood around the church. I mean, you're doing a good job identifying all these cultural differences. You know, another one you haven't mentioned has to do with just our worship style. I'm getting there, but go ahead, talk about it. So, I think our worship style yeah. is, is uh, you know, if you look at many that are much more emotive, you know, many that have rock bands, uh, never sing hymns, uh, you know, don't, are very sort of low, non-liturgical services, and they would be very uncomfortable at Wallace. Yes. And so, I mean, we, we may not, you know, if this is the only place we've been worshiping most of our lives, we might not even recognize, if you haven't been out and visited, you know, every time I go to Montana every summer, I've Worship at the First Baptist Church in West Yellowstone, and it is a really cross-cultural experience. Meaning, meaning it is so different than my own church. Yeah. And yet they love Jesus. Yeah. And uh, you know they preach in the Bible, and they're my brothers and sisters. But I'm just so thankful that I'm not there. Yeah. (laughs) So, so we recognize. I mean, you know, I think that we. So that's a huge one. Worship style, right? And again, that's what's required of people to come in here. Yes. And does, sorry, does the worship style reflect the diversity of the community we're in? It's a question. Radu and then Ron. Um, I will yield time to the things. No, no, no. no. I'm sorry. So, we came out of the lake, but as we're looking at these things, you know, I guess is. I'm trying to think through is, I guess we're just identifying what the issues are. We're not really saying what Wallace should be because if we're looking at this, maybe we, we step outside a little bit and saying, are any of these things addressed in this area through other churches? And so there are Latino churches, there are you know churches that have. So at some point, you know, can we be everything to to all who might come here, or do we just sort of decide on what? we're going to be knowing we're, we're going to miss some, some things. But I, I don't know if I misunderstood the focus yeah. of the No, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, following on what Radu was saying, you know, there, we have to be an authentic worshiping body ourselves. And, uh, you know, we want to worship God. And, uh, and I want that to be genuine, too. I don't want to be faking, you know, some other sort of style that, that doesn't really resonate with me, because that would be, you know, 
just to entertain <coughs> visitors that come in the door and, and try to attract somebody that's not here. You know? So, so I, I think we do need to be authentic in being who we are. And other people will come, and, and they, they do come from, from these different places at different times. Uh, and some don't like us. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I want to be welcome to them. I want to love them. But, uh, but if they reject us, what do you do? You help them find a church that uh, is more in line with. So our church in Lynchburg, we didn't have, we didn't have an organ. And we got reformed people who were interested in our church. They said, well, I want organ worship. Go to Rivermont EPC. It's a great church. You're going to hear an organ every Sunday. Go there. I was happy telling them to go there. Because we were never going to be an organ church. That's just We didn't have an organ. We were going to be an organ church. You know what I mean by an organ? A, a musical instrument organ. So, yeah. Sorry if that wasn't clear. So let me... <laughs> Let me help you find, unfortunately, we are sort of in the consumer mentality with churches, right? Just because there's diversity of expressions in the American church, as it were. So let's help you find one that is, uh, I've had people, I've, I had a, a man worship with us for two years, and he said, Mike, I'm going to leave the church. Why is that? Because I feel the call to be an elder in Christ's church, and I can't be ordained as a PC elder because I don't believe ultimately what you believe. I said, fine, thank you. And whenever I drove by this guy's house after that, I was so thankful for that because people come to your church and leave and never tell you why. He had the, the courtesy to sit down and tell me why he was leaving. I thought that was a good reason to leave the church. He felt called to be a leader. He couldn't be ordained in the PCA. God bless you. Go find a church where you can be ordained. But my kingdom's very big. Nate? I was going to say, I think we need to recognize that we're dealing with a very American problem, which is there's a plethora of churches that people can go to if, you know, for a large part of the history of civilization and in other parts of the world, there's only one church that you're going to be going to. And so you don't have this, like, I prefer to work, so I'm going to leave. Um, you would have a conversation with someone like that and try and make sure that you have the ability to um, prioritize what should be prioritized. And um, you would work through these issues. So I, I don't think necessarily the answer for everything is because you don't fit in with the way that we currently do things. You should just go look somewhere else.
question of outreach, how are we even just telling the community about Jesus, even if they don't come worship here? How are we? Yeah, so that's even a different issue than where you started, which was unbelievers coming into this setting. What is required of them? What really, what, what really works is you've got a relationship with them. No one's, coming, no one's coming to the front door down there as an unbeliever anymore. Those days, they ended in the early 60s. They're gone in America. It's no longer evangelism to the front door of the church. It's side of the church and relational. Like in the early church, that's the way it started. So you bring so you, you someone in your neighborhood here, that's a purple for those of you who came in late, that's your neighborhood, you're befriending somebody, they get interested in what you really believe, come with me to Wallace Presbyterian. Okay. Huge barrier for them to come through the front door of a church if it's not a funeral or a wedding. Huge barrier, right? They have as much interest in doing that as I would have going to a Hindu service. I have no interest in going to a Hindu service. None at all. Except, you know, for curiosity seeker, what do they believe, why do they do it that way? So, you bring them, are they going to understand what's going on? Not theologically, probably. Uh, it's going to seem goofy, strange. So what happens now? You, you take them back, you have lunch with them, and you say, what are your questions? Did it make sense when the preacher said this? Oh, I didn't like it, he talked about hell. I'm talking about hell this morning, incidentally, so you've got unsafe friends, you better warn them. I am talking about hell this morning. <laughs> that was offensive to me. I understand. I understand. It's an offensive doctrine. Let's, but you, Christianity is not intuitively appraised. It has to be interpreted. You are their interpreter. We can't do all the, all the interpreting in the worship service. Some, we can't do all of it. You're their interpreter. So it's very relational. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Have you, have you seen this lived out in any relationships in your life? Frank, you've seen this happen? Yeah, well, uh, you know, we've invited friends of ours and neighbors of ours. I have a very dear brother. I consider him a close friend. He's a neighbor of mine who is dying of cancer right now. Mm -hmm. and, um, he's a very hard guy to really connect with theologically. Even just yesterday, hmm. I asked him, where are you with the Lord? And he skirted right in a different direction. He's come here on multiple occasions. We've had him here. Um, you know, but I'm going to continue to try. Good. And so it, it, uh, I, I resonate with what you're talking about. I think this, this is an important aspect of you know, reaching out to our, our friends and neighbors. Good. And let's create a feedback loop. If in that discussion Frank had with this guy, the guy said, you know, I, uh, I understand why you Christians do such and such, but it would be helpful if you did, if you did this. Let's create a feedback loop. Let us know, uh, us who are in charge of, your elders are in charge of the worship service. They're ultimately in charge of what happens in worship, what's preached, etc. Your elders are. Create a feedback loop. Hey, I'm learning this from my unsaved friends. Or my, right, uh, th this would be helpful to consider this. I suspect that when you look in your bulletin under every major element in the worship service, there's a little small print, it's probably six point print, that tells you what that part of the worship service is. Uh, I don't know when that got in the bulletin, but I'll tell you, it was an evangelistically minded person who put that in there. 
so that element was explained to the curiosity seeker. It's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. When did that get into the bulletin? Anybody remember how long it's been in there? Scott did it. Yeah. So let's, let's go to the next paragraph because it teases this out a little bit. Um, I'm reading on line 15. As pastoral leaders learn about the diversity surrounding their congregations as they pray for those neighbors and neighborhoods as they come to know their diverse neighbors, such relationships should shift the way our churches engage issues. I'm on page 2413 um, and line now line 17. They cannot help but grow in loving relationships of mutuality with those with whom they've come to know. The issues suffering and pain of neighbors becomes theirs. They may not fully understand the depth of that pain that is expressed, but they do understand pain and sorrow and long to enter with gospel healing. As elders shepherd those who are different culturally, racially, and economically from themselves, they work to listen first and at length. Leaders will remain keenly aware of the fact that Jesus does not deal with a vague, generalized notion of sin, Jesus deals with particular sins of particular culturally located people with a particular ministry of gospel admonishment and restoration. Furthermore, Jesus deals with the particular wounds of a particular people who have been sinned against. This involves a particular call to particular repentance of particular sins. But such a ministry starts with a confession of the leader's need for Christ as revealed through honest reflections on his own broken soul. I need Jesus, my soul's broken. I want you to know that. I desperately need Jesus. I'm a profoundly broken man. I just want you to acknowledge. I want to acknowledge that. And I'm not saying it because it's there, but it's true. So, here's the question that's being raised by this. What pain are we surrounded by? What are the pains of the people where you live and that live around the building? What are their pains? Broken marriages. Marriages stink, right? I just assume I just assume that's the case with most people. And if they're Christians, then they're struggling to get it right. I just assume that. Marriage is really hard. Okay? Their marriages are broken. Families are broken. They're struggling with their kids, no matter how wealthy they are, how educated they are, they're probably having struggled with their kids. Okay? Where else are they in pain? Poverty and immigration issues. Immigration issues? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Poverty as well. Poverty, making ends meet, immigration. Where are their pains? Health. Their health? Cancer. Okay, mental health. Where's the greatest amount of loneliness? Singles. Aging population, people in bad marriages are really lonely. Well, <coughs> Nate? I think we don't want to, this talks about vague generalized notion of sin, but all of this, these are um, symptoms of the fact that they're guilty of Adam's sin. That's where all this starts. These are just kind of outworkings of that. But, but they're saying we need to be acquainted with the particular brokenness and pains of the particular people around us. Yeah. I think you're going to get to know that with the individuals as you start yeah. to, to work with them, but we don't want to go about trying to solve any of these any of these specific issues without getting back to the, the real issue, which is that 
come from Adam. So they can be, yeah. understand that, not like, oh, you have a kid, kid's problem. But this, these are the felt needs, and, and missiologists will tell you sometimes you've got to start with the felt needs because they, they don't know that their endemic nature is their problem, right? It is, and you've got to get there, and Jesus can heal that. But the church uh, has the distinct calling to address these particular needs of people, right, as a starting place. Which is why, what happens with Grief Share? What is Grief Share all about? Or the Pregnancy Center. There's a good one, the Pregnancy Center. A woman comes in with a crisis pregnancy, what's her felt need? What do I do with this baby? Do you eventually get to the Gospel? Yes. Um, Grief Share. Nancy welcomes anybody who's grieving the loss of a loved one. And in addressing that grief, tries to get to the Gospel. So I think it's sort of a priority thing on that, Nate. Plum? Are you saying it's kind of like, I work in the hospital, so if someone comes into the ER with stomach pain, when they express themselves like stomach pain, but we can't talk. But the core problem may be appendicitis or something else that's internal. And if we don't, you know, talk about the pain in the stomach and then go from there into that process and all that, they wouldn't know. If we go directly to Jesus, and not touching what they felt peripherally. They won't be able to, we won't be able to tap into their needs and get and lead them. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I, I, we don't want to pit these against each other. The church is responsible to look at felt needs and particular sins, address them, and ultimately show that Jesus is the answer, that gospel restoration is the answer. I don't think those are in competition with each other. So where, where's, where's the pain in our neighborhood around here that we could possibly, is there any, anything particular pains, particular sins that the church could be addressing? <laughs> See how challenging this is? This is just really hard. <laughs> it's different for everybody. I, I, are you asking us to identify we should be... <clears throat> Reaching out to the community because they all have terrible marriages. Well, some of them don't have terrible marriages. True. True. Well, we're offering grief share twice a year, um, and it, it does get have a certain amount of advertising, and there are a small percentage of people who come from outside of Wallace and participate in that. At one point, we're not doing it right now, but we have, I mean, loneliness is partly like the isolated seniors who maybe had a church background, but because of their aging issues, they're not able to get to the church community. So it's not really very active at all, but we did have, like, we brought a Bible study to Riderwood when we had eight members who didn't get to church. And then that spawned deep relationships that helped rekindle and strengthen the faith of those people. I mean, you know, you just have to think of it that way. It's, it's ultimately, it's like what you said, it comes down to a relationship. You listen a lot, you build trust, and then you can get to the core issues of the gospel over time. Good. English is the second language. Is another. Yeah. We've done that here, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's tremendous. 
tremendous blessing, particularly right across the street from the university. Uh, I think Marty and then Frank. So, uh, I guess, the, uh, Lyon, what's the question we're really sort of addressing here? Because, I mean, there, on the one hand, we want to, we need to be able to recognize all kinds of things, pains, stuff, you know, things that people are, because that, that's the way we're going to connect relationally with people who are honest and acknowledging those kinds of things. And then, there's a few instances where there's things that have been kind of worked into some sort of part of our life program. But, you know, are, are we trying to identify those or are we just trying to acknowledge the fact that, I mean, there's certain things that we just need to kind of be aware of there. I mean, addictions, right, are another thing that mm-hmm. certain groups, families, and, you know, deal with in this area. Yeah. And uh, so it's one thing to acknowledge that. You have to sort of be aware of that and not be scandalized when you talk to somebody and their child has got this addiction issue. You know, and be able to empathize. And, you know. and it's another thing to say we need to set up sort of an addiction support group out of our church in order to try to. That's another thing. I mean, these are, these are our responses. I'm uh, um, just I'm struggling with yeah. So um, I don't I don't have any answers. Trying to get a discussion going. Just launching off of the paragraph here, Frank. Yeah. I mean, just to uh, before I say what I was going to say, but uh, just to, to, to kind of segue on what what Marty's saying, I think it's it's just a discussion of opportunity. And yes, there are programmatic opportunity, and there are individual opportunities. And I think all of us have to be. We have to. We have to recognize the needs that are there and then we have to be equipped to, to, to meet those needs somehow or another. I mean, there may be opportunities for us to, to, to talk and train or, uh, or whatever for individuals so that in their lives when they're connecting with people. So that's just to, to segue off of what, what Marty was saying. But um, what I was talking what I wanted to talk about was something that I've been working to try to get for years now, Laurel Pregnancy Center. <clears throat> Laurel Pregnancy Center's focus is around the Laurel area and north. And um, when I think about the campus and how many sexually active individuals are in the campus, and, and there must be crisis pregnancies that occur at, in, in the campus, I've been trying to get Laurel to be thinking about how do you extend your services further south here. Um, so that we can we can minister to to that need on campus. I mean, that's I think that's a yeah. that's a, a big deal. Yeah, you should have them talk to the PCA Church. It's right near the campus, <laughs> and see how we yeah, can well, partner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For you know, I'm being semi physician. Well, they haven't been really interested in doing it. Oh, okay. And that's kind of the, the, the issue. Okay. This is I've been trying to say. Well, this whole area is your kind of geographic region, not just the moral area and the north of the world. Yeah. So Frank made this distinction, one second, Janice. Frank made this distinction where we are, I think it was Frank, where we are individually. I go to my neighborhood. I'm attentive to the needs and hurts of my neighbors. I know that because they're in my house. I'm getting to know them. I'm talking to them while they're cutting the grass, walking the dog, whatever. I'm getting to know them. And what we're doing sort of in an institution, 
Clearly, Wallace can't, be, can't do every ministry that's out there, but I think one of the things the session, I think, the session will begin to discuss together is what does it look like to think about some specific ministries going into this year? might be something you hear about as we move into the year. Did you want to have the last word? Well, I guess minimally, what can this congregation know about what's available in this community that has legitimacy and value in order to care for people who have these needs? Right? We're saying, well, we know, that we appreciate it here, but... How do we deal with poverty or the person who needs money to pay their bills? Who do I call? You know, is there something that Wallace has a depository of information for? If this is an issue, this is something Wallace can recommend that you refer to or work with your friend through this agency. Just that's been done at College Park Food Bank. It's maybe waned a little bit, but when we when it was regularly put before us at the congregation, we have searches of giving food and searches of volunteers helping to give out the food once a month to our neighbors who need that support. We need, you know, everybody needs to know that. I, you know, I've come into a new place, so those are the questions I ask. And some of you already know those things, but maybe many people don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Need to shut it down. Uh, I'm, this might be frustrating because we're not getting any answers, but we're just trying to get some issues on the table. Okay, let, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters, and um, take and use this to make us more effective light and salt in the community. We thank you for the diversity that is at Wallace, and we pray she would grow. Uh, we see more and more folks come in because of our concern for them, and uh, give grace and wisdom to the leaders as they think about ministries and respond to needs and grassroots efforts that come up. Thank you for the ministry ministries that have been done here and for what's ahead in the future. Lead, guide, provide, bring glory to Jesus through it all in his name. Amen.